0: Thank you. Thank you so much for that beautiful song and preparing our hearts uh, for God's Word. I could just, I feel like dismissing now. If I going home, that was a message to our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you have not left us alone. And our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was about to leave this earth... He reminded his disciples, Lord, that he would return for them and take them to where he is. We know that is a promise to us as well, your children, that our Savior is coming back for us, Lord. But until that day comes, Lord, we know that you walk beside us, in front, in back, and within us. And you will never forsake us nor leave us. Thank you for that promise, Now speak again and encourage our hearts through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles, please, we're continuing our study in the Psalms. Turn to Psalm chapter 8, Psalm 8, if you would. We're going to look at Psalm 8, another short chapter, nine verses. And we come to this chapter, I chose this chapter um, because we see... David suddenly is gripped by the awesomeness of God. He, he is suddenly uh, just uh, overwhelmed at the greatness and majesty of the Lord. And so this psalm will focus attention on God and God alone. Don't you love that song Steve Green used to sing? God and God alone. Well, this psalm is a song, remember, written by David. But it is a song of praise. And he's not, you will notice that he is not talking about his problems in this psalm. Or the burdens he's carrying. And I have to ask myself, when I go through the week... Are all my prayers and anything I say to the Lord, are they all help me? I need help. There's this problem, Lord. There's this problem and that. And he wants us to come with our needs and petitions. But I have to say, how often do I come to the Lord with simple praise on my heart and my lips? Thanksgiving. And prays for who he is. That's what David does here. Look at verse 1 with me. David begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, who has displayed thy splendor above the heavens. And of course, right away, does not that song come to you? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That beautiful song David starts out by speaking to God using his great uh, personal name, Yahweh. Notice again here, when he says, O Lord, our Lord. Do you notice a difference between the two lords on how it is spelled and the letters that are used? Capital versus small case. Here again, like before, as we know, there are many names for God in the Scriptures. But the one that is set apart that the Jews held the highest was Yahweh. Yahweh. And when you see the word translated Lord with all capitals... You see that, O oh Lord, the first Lord is all capitals. That signifies that this is the name Yahweh in in in, in, uh, in the Hebrew language, and Yahweh basically is a, the personal covenant name for God. It's and the meaning of it basically is the self-existing one. He's a self-existing one, eternal God, always was, always will be, the great I am. And this is the name that was used concerning God when he spoke to Moses from the burning bush. As you remember, God said, when Moses asked, who are you? He said, I am who I am. And, of course, that's a title for the Lord Jesus as well. So he begins with Yahweh, which is the all-existent one. But the second name here for Lord, capital L, but then small-case letters for the rest of it. Notice that. It's a different name in the Hebrew than Yahweh. This name in, in Hebrew is Adonai. Adonai. And what does that mean? Basically, the name Adonai refers to someone who is sovereign or master over things. Sovereign Lord. And so David is using this. This is more of a title of who God is. He's sovereign Lord. He's sovereign over all things and his creation. And so that's where he begins with this. Because he is now going to speak to the Lord about things that, of course, he's not telling God anything new. But he's speaking to the Lord to glorify him as the master of the universe, as the sovereign Lord, the great God I am. And notice he says, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. The Hebrew word there, majestic, is also translated excellent. How excellent is your name? And in Hebrew, the word here, majestic or excellent, means splendor or glory or, or the highest. It, it, it has the connotation of royalty. We've seen a lot of, uh, of uh, you know, news over um, the airwaves lately about royalty and, and the death of, of Queen Elizabeth. But here, here, David uses this word speaking of God's name. And he says, how majestic, how high, how glorious is your name? He's above all else. His name is above all else. Israel celebrated their deliverance as they left Egypt. And once they were delivered from Egypt, in Exodus 15, 11, they sung this, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? And David was struck with the majesty of God. And my prayer is that as, as I go into this week, My prayer for myself and for all of you is that we would go into this week and just focus on the majesty of his name, who God is, how great he is, and the great things he has done. And now David is going to go into the greatness, how God has displayed his greatness and his glory through his creation here. You know, we, we glorify the Lord, we call him majestic, and he is the creator of all things. But we must understand that, that God has spoken through his creation to mankind. Did you know that when you go outside and you look around the world or you look up and see the stars and everything, God is speaking? Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Let's go to Romans 1. As Paul begins his letter to the church in Rome. Beginning in verse 18. As Paul is going to be speaking about the sinful world, the heart, the sinful heart of man. You know, you you have have those so-called atheists. Over the centuries, I don't believe in God. Well, there is no such thing, I believe, as an atheist. They say they're one, but they really aren't. And this tells us why. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, what? Suppress the truth in unrighteousness. To suppress truth, that means you have to know truth, know the truth to suppress it. Because, verse 19, that which is known about God is evident within them. God put the uh, in the, the heart of man the knowledge that he exists. Notice verse 18 there. Because that that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they... Are without what excuse? Sometimes we we will go. Well, how can God judge someone, you know, in Africa or in Asia who's who's who never read the Bible, never gotten the gospel, you know, you know, if they haven't heard, you know, they should be innocent. Not according to the, this scripture, because every Every human being has the knowledge that there is a God, but there's the free will of man. And I can choose whether or not I am going to trust that God and seek him out. And then God will bring me salvation, bring the gospel to me, or I will say... I will just suppress that truth within me, the knowledge that there is a God, because God has spoken through his creation, as it says here, there in verse 20, Paul says, since the creation of the world, through it all, through the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen. There is, basically you're saying, if you look at God's creation, you see Yahweh. He has spoken through his creation. No one is without excuse, when it comes to God. And so turn back with me now, if you would, to Psalm 8, because this is what David now is going to focus his attention on. Now, before we get to creation, the, the, the world as we know it, and the universe... He first is going to talk about the, how God has, has brought forth praise and glory to himself through the tiniest, weakest thing on earth. Look at verse 2. David writes, From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, thou hast established strength. Because of thine adversaries, to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. If you have a King James Version, it's translated this way. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, and thou that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. So when you've, you've heard that phrase, out of the mouth of babes, but did you understand what it really meant? When we read this, it's kind of confusing. What is David saying when he says, from the mouths of infants and and babes? Basically, it's the the name for children in Hebrew and babies, okay? So how do children, how can children out of their mouths uh, have, have, it says there, Thou hast established strength through their mouths. Now, one key point that word, their uh, strength, thou hast established strength here, that, that word can also be translated praise. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, translated this word strength into praise. Praise. God's strength as seen in creating children to praise Him out of the mouths of children. Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 21. So how can can a a child, what he says, be used of God to glorify God Matthew 21, to glorify God and then bring him praise. Matthew 21, verse 15. Here is the triumphal entry. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on that donkey. And as we drop down to verse 15, look at verse 15. Remember, everybody is shouting Hosanna and has the palm branches, verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes, the smart guys, guys that went to college, guys that got their master's, got their doctorate, right, in religion and theology, when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he, Jesus, had done, and the children who were crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the Son of God, they became indignant. These religious leaders became so angry because what? They heard and saw children in the temple as Jesus was coming in. Children were singing Hosanna to the Son of God. They were praising Jesus and by that praising God. And these these religious leaders, how dare children open their mouth See, children were supposed to not be seen and not heard. Remember those old days? You know, you know, kids be quiet. Not here. Not here. They began to shout the praise to God. But then look how Jesus responds. Verse 16. And he said to them, I'm sorry, and said and said to him, they're, they're basically. This is uh, the, what what the chief priests and scribes are saying to Jesus. Do you hear what they are saying, speaking of the children? Do you hear what these kids are saying about you? They're they're little kids. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said to them, "Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes?" Thou hast prepared praise for thyself. Right there. Do you know what that is? That is Jesus quoting Psalm 2. Psalm 8.2. That is the quote that we just were looking at in Psalm 8, verse 2. Jesus brings it up, and it's a fulfillment of that prophecy. That God is going to use children to bring praise to his name. As they brought praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? So we see here that Jesus pulls that out, of, that out of David's psalm. And says, don't you realize that they were supposed to do this? That God created children to do this? When was the last time you heard children praise the Lord? Do you recall? We just had, I just heard it this past Friday. Over in our gym. We had Grandparents Day here at Blue Mountain Christian School. And some of you were here as grandparents. Some filled in because kids didn't have their grandparents here that could, could be here. So they filled in and, and were pretend grandparents, took them in. But that gymnasium was filled with almost 300 people, students and, and grandparents. And every grade in the school got up. And what did they do? They sang praises to the Lord. From the youngest, the, the pre-K, all the way up, they all got up there and they sang praises to the Lord. And, the, and the grand, those who were in attendance, I was, just, just stood in awe and marveled that these children are there standing up and they're glorifying Jesus Christ, God's Son, and glorifying God by their song, by their praise. And I think that children put us to shame many times. Do they not? A kid will come out and say whatever he wants sometimes, and he'll say the truth, but he'll he'll talk to you about how great God is. Or, Or, you know, he'll have a question about God. But he'll he'll know that God did this, or God did that, and he'll give glory to God. This is what David is doing. This is what David is pointing out. How important the praise of children. So how important is the praise in my life? Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20. And here we have... 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20. We have Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. He's going out against the enemy. Pick it up at verse 20, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20. We read, And they, Israel, rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat, the king, stood and said to the people, before they marched out to battle, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he says put your trust in his prophets, what's he saying? He's basically saying put your trust in the word of God. And verse 21, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord. It's like calling out the choir, you know. Those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. And they went out before what? The army. And they said... Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Now, picture it now. The king is about to send his army and his people out to battle. But who's he going to put on the front line? The choir. How many of you choir members would love that, John? Yeah, you're the first. You, but you're going to go in front of the army, marching, and you, what are you going to be doing? You're not going to be carrying a sword or shield. You're going to be singing, singing. And that's what he said. You guys are going to start and you're going to praise the Lord as we go before the battle ever starts. Oh, this is what you and I must do in our daily walk with the Lord. Before, as we go into the battle, am I... Focusing upon the majesty of God, who he is, that he has called me as his very own, and he will go before me, he will fight my battles for me. The battle belongs to the Lord. Do I believe it? If I do, then as I face whatever circumstance and trials that I'm about to go through, praise can come out of my lips, just like it did the children. There, look at verse 22. And when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes around the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Israel. So they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy what? One another. God turned the enemy against itself. Israel didn't have to do anything. But why did God do it that way? He was waiting to hear the praise from the lips of his people. Praise is evidence of our faith. Praise out of my lips and my mind and in my heart. If I have praise and thanksgiving, to the Lord, no matter what, that is a demonstration of the faith in me that I have in the Lord, not in myself. What a beautiful picture. When was the last time you praised the Lord and as you were going through the crisis and you just found time to say, Lord, I praise you, or you just sang a hymn. I know some of you shared that with me that in the midst of of a trial, the Lord brought a certain hymn to your mind, a certain song, and and you began to sing sing it to yourself or sing it to the Lord. Go back then to uh, Psalm 8 again as we continue on here. So we see the majesty of God. He first says it's displayed in the heavens. And God's majesty... Is displayed in infants and children as they praise the Lord. And now let's read verses 3 to 8 together, okay? So we're going to put all this together. Not going to go verse by verse, but put it all together and just break down a little bit. Verse 3, he goes on then, and he says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him? And the Son of Man, that thou dost care for him. Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God. Other translations put angels in there. And dost crown him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes through the paths of the seas. Here, as we come to these verses, here, David, first of all, there he speaks of considering the heavens and the works. He says in verse three, "I can." When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers. You kids, or remember your kids, who, uh, would finger paint. I remember finger painting in kindergarten and. You, they make you you just take the paint and make creations and and some of the were you know wow what is that but yet it was your child's painting right and and it was special to you it meant something to you and you could you could almost see sometimes their personality in it. god has has uh, been the artist of the universe and he created all these things with his hands with his word when i consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, verse 3, and the stars and the moons which thou hast ordained. No doubt David, we don't know when David wrote this psalm, but no doubt David was probably thinking back to the times he, he was a shepherd boy. And what would he do at night if he was watching this sheep? Lie on his back and look up at the stars. Look up at the vast night sky. And he could see all the planets and stars. And he, when he saw that, what did he see? He just said, didn't say, wow, as we all do, with a sunset, with a sky, a night sky. But he saw the finger of God. He looked up and said, God, you did all that. How marvelous, how majestic you are. And when I see God's creation, whatever it is, all around, up in the heavens, do I say, Lord, You are greater than I ever thought. I give you glory and praise for who you are. So David did this, speaking of the heavens. But then he goes on. He looks up and says, how majestic is your name? Then he looks down at mankind. What is man that thou dost take thought of him? And the son of man that thou dost care for him? So he's saying, you made all this, and yet you care for me? Little old me here? You know, if you ever saw, you one of those pictures, uh, shot of earth, you know, from space. And then you looked at the world, you saw the world, and you, you tried to picture out, well, where's America? Where are you? And you saw that picture. And when you think that, all right, you can't even see, anything except the shape of the continents. But then, if you were to get closer and closer and closer, zooming in, zooming in, how much zooming would you have to do to get to see one person? You know what's amazing to me is that Google Earth. Anyone ever seen that or used that? The Google Earth, and you could suddenly, you can zoom in from high above, and because of satellite, you can zoom right down and see people walking on the beach, and and you can see the minute. David is is doing this in his mind, mind. He's saying, Lord, you're so great, yet you came down to weak, lowly, sinful people like us, and you loved us. You cared for us. David saw the majesty of God in his creation of mankind, Verse five: Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God. Now there is a debate. See that name, that, that word "God" there. Thou hast made him a little lower than God. He's talking about mankind, like Adam, and and describes it as man was made a little lower than. Now some of the translations use the name God there, capital G. Okay. But there again uh, there are other scholars who have looked at this word and it's the word in the in the Greek is Elohim, which is a name for God, but small E, capital beginning, capital, uh, it's a small e, lowercase, Elohim. That word is found in Scripture to refer to human leaders or angels or angels. That's why some versions have put God in there because Elohim, they think it must be speaking about God, or is, it, is, it, is he speaking about angels here? But I personally uh, have, have gone to believe that, that this is most likely talking about angels. Why? Because of that phrase. That phrase there when he says, thou hast made him What? A little lower than the angels. A little lower than the angels. Or how could you say, if you put God in there, that the name God in there, thou hast made him a little lower than God? Can anything be made, when you think of a little lower, do you, 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 you think, well, could be up here, but you're just about here. It doesn't make sense. What can be, a who and what can be a little lower than God Almighty? Yahweh. I don't think anything. Because he is so vast, so great, that you can't say I'm a little lower than God. Man is a little lower than God. But the angels, it fits. That man is a little, God made man a little lower than the angels. Just wanted to throw that in there. But he continues on and he's saying, look what you've done, Lord. Verse the rest of verse five, and dost crown him with glory and majesty. Here's that word majesty. God crowned man with majesty and glory, so that man would glorify God. Thou dost make him to rule over the hands, over the works of thy hands, and put all things under his feet. And then he what does he do now? He speaks of the, the animal kingdom that are under. And you recall, we don't have time to go to Genesis, but in the, in the first chapter of Genesis, it talks about God made Adam, and he was what? To rule over all the animals. Okay? He had dominion over the animals and control, and then sin came. And now you've got a ferocious lion, he's tough to tame. But man is still over the animal kingdom. But God placed man above the animals, but just below the angels. But he says, look what you've done, Lord. You put man in, in charge of all this. What a great God you are. And then verse 9, he comes full circle. And he, he, he says what he, he pronounced in the first verse. At the end of the psalm here, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. How majestic. How majestic is God's name to you this morning and to me. Have I lived my life in a way that I'm showing the world how great he is and how majestic he is and how I believe, how, how wonderful a God that we, we serve and the one that saved me? There's, um, uh, there's, there's been so much said about the funeral of Queen uh, Elizabeth II. But I don't know how, has anybody, did anybody watch the funeral at all on television? Nope. That's because you're Americans. Uh, but, right. But, but so those f- uh, who have family in, in Canada or somewhere like that, you know, they're glued to their TV sets during the funeral procession. But I found fascinating as, as I saw a picture of the coffin of Queen Elizabeth. Um, and I, I want to bring that up. Greg has one here. In closing, I wanna show you this picture. This is the queen's coffin in Westminster Abbey as they were doing the processional and they were were gonna bury her. That's what's on top of the casket. Those are some of the items. You look at that and you say, what are all those things? Well, royal historians explain what everything on that casket represents and is. First of all there's the royal standard. Notice that red and orange flag draped over the uh, at the bottom draped over the casket. Queen Elizabeth's coffin was draped in a, the royal standard, a flag representing the sovereign and the, uh, the sovereign and the United Kingdom. The flag whose design contains three lions lions for England a rampant lion for Scotland, and a harp for Ireland. It was traditionally flown when the queen was in residence in one of her palaces and when she was on an official journey in her car or by aircraft. So that's the royal standard. That represented, When you saw that, you said, that's royalty. That, that showed to all the people of England, the citizens, that belongs. That's God. I mean, that's that's the royal uh, queen of England. When we think of our Lord Jesus Christ and our God, how majestic He is! Our King, there, there it is. It's over here. There it is. The Christian flag. There's our flag. It represents our Lord Jesus Christ, our King. Then, what else is on that that uh, uh, their co- coffin? The Imperial State Crown, that really stands out, the crown. And it's the Imperial State Crown, the crown worn by monarchs as they leave their coronations. It was made for the coronation of Elizabeth's father, King George V, in 1937, according to the historical royal palaces. It replaced one worn by Queen Victoria who reigned from 1837 to 1901. But the crown was made up of gold, holds 2,800 diamonds, 17 sapphires, 11 emeralds, 269 pearls, and 4 rubies. And all this made up that crown for her. The crown of the Queen of England. One day we are going to put our crowns before the feet of the Lord Jesus, aren't we? He's going to give us rewards, which many of them will come in the way of crowns. What are we going to do? We're going to cast them at his feet. And one day, Jesus Christ will return, and he will be crowned. He is already Lord, but he's going to be crowned before our eyes, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then finally is the, uh, the sovereign's scepter and orb there. I love this. Sitting alongside the crown are the sovereign scepter with cross and sovereign's orb, symbolizing her relationship with God and also power. According to uh, the, the historians, the scepter has been used at every coronation since 1661. The orb is also a significant object in that it is given to the monarchs for their coronation to represent their powers and responsibility according to the charity. But the gold orb reminds the monarch, when she was given this, when she became queen, queen, it reminded her that their power was derived from God. Their power was derived from God. And if you want to look up some of her quotes as she reigned, she always gave God the glory. God gave God the, 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 the praise as uh, as a as a christian monarch and we look at this and go how beautiful the funeral of a queen but you know there's a tomb in jerusalem has no ornate crown no decorating there's no fanfare it's a stone tomb but you know what's wonderful about that tomb? It's the tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what's different about his tomb compared to all the other tombs of every king and queen that ever lived is that this one's empty. This one is empty. And he is alive and he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, King of kings, Lord of lords, and he's coming again And he's going to reign on this earth and we are going to reign with him. He's going to snatch us away first. Then we will come and reign as he creates a new heaven and a new earth. This is our Savior, our God. David was looking up. He saw the majesty of God. As we close here, would you say, Lord, I want to get a fresh vision of your wonder, your glory, and who you are. And I am going to seek to praise you this week. No matter what happens to me, no matter how sad I am, no matter how brokenhearted I am, I'm going to find praise to give to you. Let's pray together. As we bow in prayer, dear Christian, perhaps the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning. And you realize that you haven't been praising him like you ought to. You haven't been focusing upon his majesty and his glory. Would you say, Lord, I want to do that this week. I want to begin doing it in my prayer life, in my thoughts. And every time I look around at your creation, Lord, help me to see your mighty hand of, of, of uh, creation, Lord that created all these things and you created me. And most of all, Lord, you made a way for me to be saved through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on that cross. Would you make that commitment this morning, Christian? If you're here without Christ this morning, I invite you to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just trust him now. Make him your king. He died for you on that cross and took your sin upon himself. If you're ready to do that, Give your heart to Christ and be saved. He'll forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and give you eternal life. If you're ready to accept Christ as your Savior, pray with me right now. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died for me on that cross. Come into my heart. Wash away my sins. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with our heads still bowed and eyes closed, if you accepted Christ today, you are now a child of God. You've been born again spiritually. We welcome you to this precious family. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts this day. May we leave here praising your name. In our minds, hearts, and through our lips. And sing of your majesty. And may you be pleased with our praise. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll let uh, Dale lead us.